Welcome to episode 181 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber, joined by Paul Herman. How you doing, Paul? I am uh, very well. I'm well fed. Got a got a uh, roast beef sandwich in me with some. Uh, I can't pronounce this, but it's basically some barbecue chips with a little bit of spice in them. And oh god, they're so good. And so I'm feeling great. I'm ready to talk some Marvel stuff. Lots of Marvel. Yes. I am also excited to talk about a lot of Marvel stuff. I know you got some Marvel stuff because we're doing this show oh. between uh, Christmas and New Year's. I saw that Fantastic Four number one poster you got there. That's pretty nice, Hell buddy. Yeah. Oh, dude, that was that was awesome because I I've been, I've been wanting that for a poster, like a, not just like a little one, but a big one, because it's it's the comic that started it all. Yep. Right. I mean, this is the thing that. We like the Marvel comics and, and now the MCU is based off. It all started basically at Fantastic Four issue number one. That is the start of the 616 universe. And and, and, and not to mention it's a just a beautiful cover by Jack Kirby, but it just represents so much. And all those things together, I'm like, you know, in my in FD studios now, I've expanded FD studios. It's now uh, two rooms, basically, and I'm working on the second room. But I needed to have, you know, and Star Wars takes a good portion of it, and I'm getting more and more and more Marvel stuff. But now I was thinking, what is something that is a pinnacle Marvel thing that, like, needs to represent my love of Marvel? And I'm like, well, it has to be Fantastic Four issue number one. So I asked for that for Christmas. I I just wanted the poster. I was just going to get a cheap frame. My wife got me a freaking awesome frame for it. So, yeah, it was pretty rad so I, that was one that might be one of my favorite my favorite gift of the whole the whole thing i got a, lot, a few spoils me and got me tons of stuff but that might be number one because that's just she went above and beyond to get that thing looking nice so yeah it's awesome yeah it is awesome i mean it's the most important marvel comic book of all time yeah and mm-hmm. then we get into the discussion of the most important superhero comic books of all time and it's right up there i mean action mm-hmm. comics number one kind of has to live in that top spot for reasons with superman but i would mm-hmm. say fantastic four number one is right after that i can't really think of another one even detective comics 27 that sure. i would put over fantastic four number one historically because of the importance of the marvel age of comics and that's where it all started and then mm-hmm. you go into stan lee and the story that he always told about fantastic four and of course, Stan Lee's birthday was uh, this week. We always miss Stan. But Stan always told the story about how his wife, Joni, when he was going to quit writing comics, told him, well, if you're going to quit anyway, just write what you want. Who cares if they fire you? And that turns into Fantastic Four, obviously also co-created by Jack Kirby. So if Stan doesn't write that book on his way out, then he just leaves and none of the other stuff happens. So, mm-hmm. yes, Fantastic Four, number one, is a very significant book, and it's just a really cool cover uh, that makes for an awesome poster. But we are not going to talk about Fantastic Four in this episode. That's in our next episode, mm-hmm. because we still have a couple shows left, including this one, breaking down everything from Disney Investor Day, which I know at this point was a few weeks ago by the time you're all hearing this, but that's just how much stuff we had to talk about. And we needed to be able to cover it in detail because that's the way we like to go over these things. But Fantastic Four will come up in the movie section of the show. So that's a different episode. This episode, we're going back to Disney+. Plus. We've kind of been going back and forth thus far in our coverage. We have made it all the way through uh, 2021. These are the projects that have specific or at least approximate release dates. for. And then what we're going to talk about now 
So we're going to talk about everything after 2021. Now, I know on the movies, some of those still have specific release dates, and we'll talk about those in our next episode. But what we're going to talk about in this show is everything from Marvel Studios on Disney Plus after 2021. But before we get to that, just want to remind everybody to make sure you're following at MCU Fan Show and all those places you can, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And also check out patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R for exclusive podcasts not available anywhere else, but more on that in a bit. Paul, let's go through this and let's start talking Mm. about these projects. And we're going to go through them in the order that I think this is the order that Kevin Feige talked about them on during the Investor Day presentation, but it's also part of the order of the official press release that came out of Disney Investor Day. And I'm guessing, even though they didn't say it, a lot of this stuff seems to have been listed in, at least for now, what seems to be chronological order. But of course, we're talking about shows that haven't gone into production yet, and so things could still shift. But the first one on the list is She-Hulk. Now, we talked about this quite a bit, Recently, we talked about, we already talked about back in episode 172, which wasn't that long ago, it was just a few months ago. We talked about the casting when it was originally reported of Tatiana Maslani as She Hulk slash Jennifer Walters. We didn't really get a whole lot of new information during the investor day, but there was another piece that came afterward, although there was one big piece of casting uh, that was added to it uh, that we will talk about. But let me go through the synopsis that was released after the investor day. She-Hulk, a new comedy series coming to Disney+, Plus, stars Tatiana Maslany as She-Hulk slash Jennifer Walters, a lawyer who specializes in superhuman-oriented legal cases. She-Hulk will welcome a host of Marvel characters to the series, including the Hulk, played by Mark Ruffalo, and the Abomination, played by Tim Roth. The series is directed by Kat Cairo and Anu Valia. Jessica Gao is the head writer. Kevin Feige also added in a subsequent interview with Emmy Magazine, he described it as a half-hour legal comedy, and he also said it would stay true to John Byrne's She-Hulk run, and I'm sure there will be other comic book influences as well. So, Paul, we talked about the Tatiana Maslany casting, which we're both in favor of. I'm a big fan of Orphan Black and Tatiana Maslany's performance there and other things, including a couple episodes she did of Parks and Recreation. Um, But the bigger news coming out of this No offense to Mark Ruffalo, we knew he'd be there. He's Jennifer Walters' cousin. He was always going to be in the show. So that's just like, I mean, I'm happy about it. I love Mark Ruffalo as Banner slash Hulk and hopefully still Mm -hmm. Professor Hulk. I'm all about that. Uh, But the one thing we weren't guaranteed in this show was the Abomination, played by, of course, Tim Roth reprising that role from The Incredible Hulk, a character we have not seen since 2008's The Incredible Hulk and has only been referred to not even in MCU proper, but mainly in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when they've dropped the name Blonsky. So, Paul, how are you feeling about the return of Abomination in the MCU? I think it's awesome. I think that I really miss, I think, the more Hulk connections because I me and you are both big Hulk fans. Mm-hmm. And I obviously, because of, because of the Universal stuff, they haven't really been able to really dive into that character as much as I think that they should or want to. And now with the TV side and special effects starting to catch up with everything, you have to start wondering if this is maybe going to start changing. Um, So I think the fact that they're bringing the abomination in is a big deal because I mean, think about it. That's a, I mean, unless they completely uh, reformat the character and retcon him in a sense to where he's smaller or whatever, it's going to be a pretty big, um, a, you know, a pretty big thing to pull off uh, CGI wise. So 
Really, really exciting that they're bringing him back. I know there's a lot of rumors right now of bringing uh, Blonsky into the Thunderbolts, mm-hmm. and I think, and I, I don't think that's an, an, an unreasonable thing to think by any means. So, yeah, I, I think it's great, only because I want more Hulk stuff in the MCU, and we it's been so Hulk light as far as his mythos, and I really, really like the fact that we're getting that, and if She Hulk is kind of like. To be honest, it's kind of like a, a testing ground, I think, for for a lot of different things, uh, obviously. But which we'll get into. But the Hulk itself, and and that whole mythology that he's been, you know, that he carries with him in the comic books, I think that is where th- this is kind of like the testing ground for it. Because if She Hulk is successful, and you and you have like these monsters and and She Hulk beating them, you know each other up a little bit. I, and and it looks good, and the fans respond to it well. I think it definitely adds to the the idea of hey, we can make a Disney Plus show, and we can bypass Universal. I'm assuming they only own the rights distribution rights, excuse me, um, in the theater. So I wonder if a TV show is is something different. Now, it's very expensive still to make the Hulk look good and pull that off. But at the same time, I think we're not too far off either. So by the time in a couple of years from now, I would say you're looking like a, it, the Hulk, you know, coming on to Disney Plus for, you know, five, six episodes isn't unreasonable. You know, at least a good portion of it anyway, a good portion of the Hulk. Um, so I, for one, am really excited because just, again, what what it could represent of bringing that Hulk mythology into the MCU, the greater MCU, and maybe bypa- by, bypassing Universal, I think to me is the is a, a good thing at this point. So yeah, I'm excited and I hope, and I do hope abomination is a part of the, uh, Thunderbolts. That'd be great. I'm okay with abomination, not being part of the Thunderbolts. I just wanted mm-hmm. to see abomination again in the MCU. So the fact that we're getting this character again, I'm happy with if that sets up additional appearances and something like Thunderbolts. Great. If it doesn't lead to that, that's okay too. I, I think when I'm looking, what I'm just, happier about is kind of what and happiest about besides just getting what looks to be a really good and fun She-Hulk series starring a great actor in Tatiana Maslany. Aside from those obvious points, something that's, I guess, equally obvious to people who've listened to the show for any length of time because I've bored our listeners enough with the story. Hulk was my access point to Marvel comic books as a kid. That was my favorite character in my favorite world. And She-Hulk, of course, was an extension of that. And it's just been one of those things where I understand and accept all the reasons why. And just to recap for anyone who may not quite remember how it works with the Hulk is that what we've been in right now with uh, with Marvel Studios, the the issue that we've had with Hulk movies is not that Marvel Studios doesn't have the rights to make Hulk movies. They do. But if they were to make one, Universal would have the right to distribute it and therefore profit from the movie they would have the option of distributing it, not Disney. Disney would only be able to distribute a Hulk movie um, only if Universal passed on that, which based on the popularity at this of the MCU at this point, why would Universal pass on that? Even though Hulk movies historically, solo movies go to the Ang Lee film prior to the MCU or the Louis Leterrier film, The Incredible Hulk in the MCU, neither Hulk film really performed all that well, but Hulk's in a different category now as far as his mainstream popularity and I know there was the Lou Ferrigno series and everything prior to previous Hulk movies but this specific version of the character is now very popular based on what Mark Ruffalo has been able to do throughout multiple films in the MCU 
So a Hulk movie would do very well. Universal wouldn't pass on it. So, and there are even limits. Even with something like Thor Ragnarok, for example, there's limits to just what percentage of a poster Hulk could take up because at what point does Thor Ragnarok go from being a Thor movie to a Hulk movie? So Hulk's allowed to appear in MCU movies as we've seen, but it can't really be a, it can't, Hulk can't be the dominant character or mythology in there, but it appears Disney Plus is a workaround. Now there were rumors a couple years back that even the distribution issue for Hulk movies had been resolved. We haven't seen any sort of confirmation on that whatsoever, but if nothing else, this appears, Disney Plus appears to be a workaround where Marvel Studios can put in as much Hulk mythology as they want, have a series titled She-Hulk starring She-Hulk, and now it features Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk, and it features a classic Hulk villain, Abomination, Emil Blonsky, as played by Tim Roth. So I'm really happy to get more of this mythology. I'm all for the half-hour legal comedy format. That sounds really great to me because it reminds me of a little bit of Dan Slott's She-Hulk, but even more so the more recent Charles Soule She-Hulk run, which was a lot of fun, and that had a lot of superheroes uh, popping in and out of that series, kind of like they tease in this synopsis, and Kevin Feige teased something similar with other characters having the potential to pop up. Like in the Charles Soule run, uh, we we reviewed and, and we discussed a few issues of that run on a Marvel Unlimited Book Club episode on the Patreon, where it was She-Hulk, Jennifer Walters, having to defend, as a lawyer, having to defend Steve Rogers, and the lawyer on the opposing side was Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil. There was another issue where it was a team-up with Ant-Man, and so there's a lot of stuff that can happen in this series. A lot of characters have the potential to pop in, and I think this is a really great format for it. And then one last thing I would just say about the character of Abomination, though, Paul, is I really hope that he gets an evolved look. And that's not to be critical of the abomination from The Incredible Hulk. That worked fine for what it was in the moment, but it's not quite, uh, it's not amphibious enough for what I'm used to with abomination. I certainly need like the bigger webbed ears uh, that abomination has in the comic books. Um, Not that they need to be as massive as they were in some of his initial incarnations. I wouldn't say no to it. Um, But I do hope that we see Abomination looks a little bit different. And I think that would make sense at this point. I mean, we only saw when he just turned into the Abomination and the Incredible Hulk. So that look could have continued to evolve. And maybe there's been additional experiments on Emil Blonsky all this time that he's been away in the MCU. Uh, So I am hoping for a more comic book-like look or aesthetic for Abomination. If we get that, then I'll be happy. Uh, But either way, She-Hulk sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. I I think She-Hulk is going to be one of those things where... It's this is definitely going to be a different uh, a a, a new thing into the the MCU, a new glimpse into the MCU, which we kind of talked about from our comic book Patreon episodes that I love doing. And, uh, you know, with Dan Slott run and the John Byrne kind of a little bit as well. So for me, this is going to be a very interesting kind of take. I hope it doesn't get and again, I, I trust Kevin Feige in Marvel, so I'm not too worried about it. But I do hope it doesn't abandon it, it. I hope it doesn't go overboard with the the humor. But like honestly, the Loki series has looks like a lot of humor, but looks like a Marvel show. So I I think that this is going to be just fine, and I have full faith that they're going to pull us off. And it's going to be and again the fact that Abominations in it is interesting to me. And I think also kind of from my, me wrapping up my thoughts on this whole thing is a. Uh, 
I think it's going to be cool to have the abomination because it sh- it's going to show you the power level of She Hulk when you right. compare it to the 2018 or 2018. Oh God, that's way too. Uh, 2008 <laughs> right. uh, Hulk movie that came out to kind of give an idea of how far the She Hulk power level is, which would be good. I mean, it's not quite Hulk level at well. Maybe they'll make it Hulk level. You know, I don't know, but but yeah, I think this is going to be a really interesting kind of a take on the character. Totally agree. And the next show that we want to go ahead and talk about is Moon Knight. We didn't get too much of an update. One thing that was missing was we did not get Kevin Feige was confirming a lot of different reports about various casting across the MCU. Did not confirm the reports that Oscar Isaac has had that Oscar Isaac has this role now. Maybe that just means because what was reported previously was that Oscar Isaac was in talks. Maybe they are still in talks and it's just not a done deal. I I wouldn't take this to mean that Oscar Isaac is out and not playing Moon Knight. Uh, I would just say that this probably means it's not a done deal, or at least it wasn't back on December 10th. And stuff like that has happened before. You go back to October of 2014 when Marvel did that big phase three announcement event at El Capitan Theater, and I was there. A lot of us there, when we started realizing what was happening, it was Marvel announcements. uh, A lot of people thought that we were going to be introduced to Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. And it didn't happen because the deal wasn't done just yet. And then soon after it was. And of course, Benedict Cumberbatch is Doctor Strange in the MCU and the rest is history. So maybe the official announcement of Oscar Isaac as Moon Knight uh, is still on the way. But that's not what we got during Investor Day. We do have an updated uh, synopsis, though, coming out of that. And it is as follows. Moon Knight is a series created for Disney Plus, directed by Mohamed Diab. The action adventure features a complex vigilante who suffers from dissociative identity disorder. The multiple identities who live inside him are distinct characters who appear against a backdrop of Egyptian iconography. So, Paul, I don't want to rehash all the Oscar Isaac stuff that we talked about recently in episode 175, but this is confirming something in a more, I think, explicit way than Kevin Feige has just kind of vaguely hinted at in previous Mm -hmm. announcements and and comments regarding Moon Knight and that they are talking about these very separate identities and and even referring to them as distinct characters. And this, to me, just points to why somebody like Oscar Isaac would be so excited to do this in the first place, which is kind of what we, we talked about a bit in episode 175 of, well, how about instead of playing one comic book character, you get to play three or four all in the same show? And I I think and these are very complex and interesting characters, whether you have Jake Lockley, who's like the cabbie identity for Moon Knight. Mm -hmm. You have Stephen Grant, who's the rich playboy. You have Mark Spector, the mercenary, although he's mainly gone. And and you have uh, actually Moon Knight or you have the Mr. Knight version of Moon Knight. You have the Fist of Khonshu, the Egyptian god. So there's a lot of different things that are at play here. And I really like just being told flat out that, yes, this is the type of territory that this show is going to cover. Yeah, Moon Knight's complex complexities is what I think really drives the character now. I think back in the day, those things weren't necessarily the uh, driving force of the character. It was just kind of a, a little more of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A little more of a, of a niche, like kind of like it makes the character interesting in the aspect of, oh, this character is different. He's got three different personalities that he goes in and out of, and, and they don't really cross over in a sense to where it, it was a detriment. Whereas they recently did that in the last 20 years, you know, 15 even, I would say, um, giving this character a little more complexity. And because of that, 
he became even more of a cult hero. Um, you know, that, that C B lister character that a lot of people like me love because he get, he's got what he's got maybe one of the best Marvel costumes. I think, um, you know, the original one anyway, uh, I think in the Mar- in the Marvel universe, in my opinion, and even the uh, the new like the suit uh, Moon Knight character is phenomenal. I think that's a great look. Uh, the Netflix the Netflix look, you could say. Um, well, it's not a hoodie, so uh, well, yeah, that's true. But but you could say it's it's like the Netflix version because it's a simplified. You know, we yeah. can't have we can't have superheroes. But know, it is super it costume. is cool though. I I really hope the Mister Knight suited up look actually makes it yes. into the show. Doesn't have to be the dominant look throughout the right. entire series, but I hope it makes it in mm-hmm. there for at least part of an episode. Yeah. No. There's. Yeah. Exactly. I think we're going to get that. I think we're going to get everything, and I think that's what. And again, I think that's what makes a character so interesting. And the, the fact that Kevin's kind of, you know, telling us that, yeah, that's, that's what we're going to go into. It's great. And especially with what we're, we've gotten in, I think, uh, so far, even in The Mandalorian and and what we're going to see in WandaVision, I think it, it makes me feel better of what we're going to be getting in Moon Knight. The fact that Disney Plus isn't going to be afraid to show us a little bit more mature content. And not only want to say, say mature and like blood guts and like you know whatever but it's going to give us something that's not going to be just you know dumbed down or whatever or make it you know kid friendly or and and again i don't want to say kid friendly as a bad thing but there is that when you try to aim at a family aspect completely it does make it a moon knight character kind of it's you know it's not going to be as what i think it needs to be and now that we're going to be getting that he's kind of hint, you know telling us that we're going to get this complex character, I think it gives me a lot of satisfaction in the fact that this is going to be the Moon Knight show and story that I, the comic books have done and done a great job of, and we're going to get that same kind of story. So that's really exciting. It is, and and I don't think really with Disney and Marvel, I don't expect them to really. Uh, steer away from some of the more adult aspects of Moon Knight and some of the darker aspects of Moon Knight because, I mean, I just Mm -hmm. look at some of the stuff that's happened in The Mandalorian, particularly in season two, and I'm like, even in the show with cute baby Yoda slash Grogu, they've Mm -hmm. had some darker things, and there's not going to be, I don't think anyway, a cute little puppet in Moon Knight, so I think it will already kind of be geared toward a little bit of an older audience. I mean, you don't want to completely leave the rest of the MCU audience behind, but I do think it will uh, slant uh, a little older uh, in terms of the audience that it's going after, also in terms of the content as well. So I, I expect that Marvel will still stay true to this character. It may not be as graphic as certain issues of the comic books, uh, but I think they'll adhere uh, fairly closely to the source material and, and provide a, a faithful and exciting adaptation. The next uh, series that we found out, this was a brand new series that was announced. So we talked about She-Hulk. We talked about Moon Knight. Those are series we already knew about prior to Disney Investor Day. We just got a little bit of additional information. Now we're going to talk about some stuff that we had no idea existed prior to Disney Investor Day. Well, one of these, the first one, we had a bit of a heads up on this, although it didn't quite tell us exactly what it was. So a few months ago, we saw the reports of a Nick Fury Disney Plus series But that's not really what it is. It is much more than that. It is Secret Invasion, and here's how it was described. Secret Invasion is a newly announced series heading to Disney Plus that stars Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury and Ben Mendelsohn as the Skrull Talos, characters who first met in Captain Marvel. 
The crossover comic event series showcases a faction of shape-shifting Skrulls who have been infiltrating Earth for years. I am so excited about this one because it is not so much the secret invasion angle, but when I first heard about the Nick Fury series, I was thinking, I really hope this is a team-up with Talos because (laughs) I love the dynamic between... Samuel L. Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn in Captain Marvel. They were so great together. And we got a little bit of that again in Spider-Man Far From Home. So when I heard about a Nick Fury series, I thought, well, yeah, I want to see Nick Fury dealing with space stuff, as we saw in the post credit scene for Spider-Man Far From Home. I want to see some of that more interaction with Ben Mendelsohn's Talos. And that's what we're getting. Now, as far as Secret Invasion goes, this is not being framed, at least as of right now, with nearly the central significance that the comic book event had, like when Secret Invasion came out in the comic books, it was the Marvel comic book event of that time. Mm -hmm. Secret Invasion so far in the way they're talking about this doesn't sound like that. This doesn't sound like the next major crossover event of the MCU. It is an event series with Nick Fury and Talos who are tracking down these Skrulls who've infiltrated Earth for years. Now, that is Secret Invasion. It was Skrulls who had been on Earth for a long time being discovered. But I'm wondering how big this is going to be, Paul, because in Marvel Mm. Comics, you're finding out superheroes that you knew for a while had been Skrulls for a while. And so it's changing kind of what what you knew about those characters for that length of time that they had been Skrulls. I don't really know if this series is going to do that. Like, I don't know that this series is going to tell us that a main MCU character has been a scroll for years and, and change who that character was during the infinity saga or something like that. Although I suppose that could potentially be the case. I don't really know, but I'm not really looking at this from the secret invasion standpoint for me anyway, as much as I'm just looking at this from the Nick Fury, Nick Fury and Talos team up, which is more than enough for me. Yeah. I'm one of those people who I liked don't get me wrong. I like that their dynamic, and I think that they were the you know very standout characters from all that. The only thing for me that this story just without having the the overall. First of all, to me, Secret Invasion was never my favorite story when it was coming out in the in the comic books, but it I, it did pique my interest a little bit when they when uh bendis introduced the multi uh super scrolls that were not just it wasn't just fantastic four uh super scroll but they had like x-men super scrolls and avengers super scrolls it was really cool like they had a bunch of different super scrolls kind of going out there um and then you brought in the secret warriors um that were uh, that jonathan hickman would eventually write with brian bendis uh after uh secret invasion and into dark rain and the secret warriors were the byproduct of the fact that uh, Nick Fury couldn't, didn't know who he could trust, but he had these people that he anticipated this happening and he had the secret warriors as, as the only heroes he could trust. And they went out there and they, they took care of business kind of a thing. And I really like that aspect of it. Now, all those things gone, just having secret evasion and, and having Nick Fury and Talos, you know, duke it out. Not exactly my my most anticipated of the Marvel universe, but I mean, Samuel Jackson and Ben, Ben Mendelsohn. So, I mean, like, how could I not go wrong with that? So the fact that it's those two people that it's going to be, I'm, you know, I'm excited just for those two actors, the characters themselves, Talos is whatever Nick Fury is. I love Nick Fury. He's, he's a, you know, he's classic. So I, I'm not as excited as you are 
for sure. And and again, the comic is not necessarily my be all end all, but I do think it's a little. I hope it's a little bit more intertwined. It's not just a who's a scroll. I have no idea. And also, it's the one interesting thing about the show is if it is Secret Invasion, then does that mean you put Nick Fury against Talos because? That means the scrolls are infiltrating the earth and that means they're bad guys. So what does that mean? Now it could just be, you know, rogue. Uh, yeah, scrolls. no, I think it's an, you know, an evil or uh, ill-intended faction of scrolls, mm. I, I think is what you're looking at. Cause I think that's part of the lesson of captain Marvel is that you can't, sure. you can't paint an entire race, be it human or alien as the bad guys. Like that's what, that's part of what captain Marvel is about thematically. So I don't think they, I, I don't really, this, could this create tension? Yes, it could definitely create tension because there's obviously trust issues that are inherent to scrolls. And Talos did start out as an antagonist for Nick Fury before they knew the truth for Nick Fury and for Carol Danvers. So there might be some mistrust that's kind of lingering there, but I don't really think so. I mean, at this point mm -hmm. in the MCU, Nick Fury not only has a relationship with Talos and Talos' wife, Soren, but also he's on a ship full of scrolls. So he's been around enough scrolls to know that not all of them are up to this. But that being said, in the same way that not all of an entire alien race or species is bad, well, they're not all good either. And so, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, we will find that I think that's what we're going to discover in this series is that these are just like there's bad people, there's bad scrolls too. Uh, and this is what they've been up to on Earth. So I think it's probably going to be something along those lines. But there are a few things that or why this series is so excited for me, just beyond the the Nick Fury and Talos dynamic that I was a big fan of in Captain Marvel. And then for what we got of it in Far From Home, it's a couple things for me. One is that Secret Invasion, one of my... Well, I, I shouldn't say one of my least favorite, definitely not among my most favorite Marvel event series over the years. I'm just I'm not a big fan of the whole idea of this character for this many years was not who you thought like that sort of reveal that yeah. changes previous stories for me isn't really my favorite unless it does so in a really interesting way. But a lot of times it just comes across as a stunt and it just some of the secret invasion just didn't really work for me. And so when people were talking about the next big Marvel event, our MCU event after Infinity War slash Endgame and everything. And Secret Invasion was always on the list, the fan wish list of big Marvel, like Avengers level events going forward. And I was the one crossing my fingers being like, I kind of hope it's not Secret Invasion. Or if it is, they do it a lot differently than, than the comic books. So there's really no stakes in this for me as far as living up to the Marvel mm -hmm. comic book event. And then the other part of it, as you said, is this going to be like when I'm talking about my anticipation level for this series, am I saying that let's assume that these are 2022 series, just like uh, She-Hulk and, and Moon Knight probably are. Let's assume Secret Invasion is. I'm not saying Secret Invasion is going to be my most anticipated Disney Plus series from Marvel Studios in 2022. I'll probably be. Well, I'm equally excited, but, you know, I'll probably be more equally excited for She-Hulk and Moon Knight because, yeah, I'm going to be more into the the superhero stuff or the crazy Moon Knight stuff than Secret Invasion. But that's what I love about getting so many Marvel Studios Disney Plus series is it kind of takes the pressure off and it allows them to do fun things like this. Like if they're doing major superhero series like Miss Marvel, uh, like Ironheart, which we'll talk about next, um, and they're doing and She-Hulk and Moon Knight, if they're doing that type of stuff, 
then I don't mind spending six to eight weeks with Nick Fury and Talos. Like, that's fine because I'm mm -hmm. getting all the other stuff as well. So this is kind of like the fun break. Here's the style you're used to from these various series. Not that they're all going to have the same style. They're not all going to be half-hour sure. legal dramas. That's just She-Hulk. But because I'm getting kind of the more mainline superhero-type adventures and stories, to have a mm -hmm. fun little aside with Nick Fury and, uh, and Talos doing, like, I don't know, former shield or sword and scroll like 48 hours, like that type of style for them with secret invasion or something like that, or lethal weapon style of, you know, of Nick Fury, of course, the ultimate and former director of shield Talos, the scroll. There's just a lot of fun to be had, I think with those two characters. And I'm totally happy to just have fun for several weeks with them, knowing that we're getting all the other stuff. So this doesn't have to be my be all end all of Marvel series in whatever year it comes out. Uh, this will just be a fun little add on to it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's where I kind of stand too. I, it's not my most anticipated, but I'm 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 looking forward to seeing those characters again. So, but I'm glad it's not just the only thing we're getting either. So, no, I, I wouldn't I want it to be the one Marvel project we got in a given year. And and if it were like that, I don't think we would get if if we were only getting one Marvel show in a given sure. year. I, I don't think it would be Secret Invasion. But yeah, they can add it to the roster. Uh, that may also include, I don't know if this is going to be 2022 or 2023, but with how many we're getting in 2021, this could be in 2022, and that is Ironheart. And here's the synopsis that we have so far. Ironheart, the second of the newly announced series coming to Disney+, Plus, stars Dominique Thorne as Riri Williams, a genius inventor who creates the most advanced suit of armor since Iron Man. And that's pretty much the comic book. Riri Williams invents her own Iron Man armor, and then it gets upgraded from there. Uh, this is a character who's like 15, 16 years old when she gets started in, in the action in Marvel comic books. She invents, her own, she invents her own armor. She has like a little fellowship or whatever of, you know, being an advanced student going to MIT. But uh, I don't think she stays there, if I'm remembering those comics correctly. I know that she's mainly Chicago-based. Um, and I kind of hope they stay true to that in the series, because that's not really a city that we have uh, a lot of for the MCU. So a new environment for a superhero, I think, would be a lot of fun. And as far as the casting of Dominique Thorne, she was in If Beale Street Could Talk a couple years ago. But her role in that was very, very small. She's only in it for like one scene and only has a couple lines. So that's not really enough uh, to gauge, uh, you know, her as an actress and, and what she's bringing to the table. She is going to be in another movie that will be coming out soon um, on HBO Max and in theaters, Judas and the Black Messiah, which was probably one of the best trailers of the year. Uh, the new film uh, directed by Shaka King and starring Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. So hopefully she's going to be great in that. I would imagine she is. And of course, in the audition and screen testing process and whatever they did, I'm sure Dominique Thorne made an impression on Kevin Feige and company. So we'll wait and see. Although I, I, I'm noticing here that she is or have noticed in looking her up that I think she's a little bit older. I don't know how old when she's not old. She's like 22, 23 years old, uh, but a little older than uh, than Riri Williams is when she gets started in the comic books. But of course, famously, actors are playing younger. So I'm not really sure uh, what age Riri Williams is going to be when we meet her in the MCU. But the main point is this character inventing her own Iron Man armor. And Riri Williams has been a lot of fun in Marvel comic books. And I'm so excited that this character is going to have a, a space in the MCU. And I can't wait to see the armor that she comes up with. And there's a lot of interesting possibilities here. You're probably seeing rumors and stuff already or just fan guesses at what's going to happen. 
She does have a Tony Stark AI for a period of time in the comic books. I don't know if that means Robert Downey Jr. is going to be part of this series. I would almost advise against doing that because we already had Tony Stark in mentor mode Mm -hmm. with Peter Parker in the Spider-Man movies. I don't really need that in this Ironheart series. Um, But I do. I, I would love to see other characters from Iron Man's world. I mean, if we're talking the Iron Man comparison is automatic. So Iron Man characters like Pepper Potts, like Rhodey, uh, like Happy Hogan, maybe even Morgan Stark. I mean, there are characters from that world uh, that we could certainly see again uh, in Ironheart. But the most important character is, of course, Riri Williams. She's a, an awesome, really fun, really cool character, and she's going to be a total blast in the MCU. I, I'm really excited that they're doing this. Yeah, that's one thing that I'm really excited to because, again, pipping out our, our Patreon show, we, we went and read some uh, Ironheart comic books. I read, or we read the, I think, what, her original series by herself, this Ironheart series, and I actually was really surprised how much I enjoyed that, and I enjoyed her costume. I remember thinking that she had the, just the, there's no faceplate, just armor and the pink armor. It was just weird to me at first, but reading the actual comic book, I really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed the costume, because it was actually in a real Iron you know Man kind of looking costume, and I really enjoyed it, and I think she's a really interesting character. I, I think they've kind of, Marvel is still trying to figure out, Marvel comic books that is, is still trying to figure out what to do with that character. Um, and I don't know, I, I think there's just, yeah, I, there's still a little bit more to be desired, I think, as far as what they could, her potential. Because I think the, there's a lot of potential with this character, a lot, to be quite honest. And I am really excited that this series could definitely boost her uh Will, will boost her her uh, her visibility as far as you know in the comic books and as a character and and maybe Marvel you know editorial will actually do more things with her character and give her a little more to do um, and I think that, to be honest a lot of the super superheroes in the comic books right now as far as the teen heroes are just being bogged down in this whole like we gotta have them all be together and it's like no like get, let them do their own thing because. I think these characters like a Miles Morales and an Ironheart, they're strong enough. They don't need to have all this weight, you know, on them. So, but yeah, I'm really excited because I think Ironheart will, will, I think Ironheart has the potential to really connect to a, the younger audience because I think the fact that she's a lot like Tony Stark, but not Tony Stark at all, different, you know, different upbringing, different, all kinds of things, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting because people like Tony Stark in the in the MCU, they'll exist. They'll be geniuses, mm-hmm. and genius is enough to make a suit of armor. And having someone like her in, in the comic books, it's great because she basically built her own Iron Man suit from Tony Stark, like parts, and builds it. And that's really really cool. And I think there's he's. I mean, think about this. You could definitely tie that into the MCU because how many times has his armor been beat up and thrown oh, out? Oh yeah. And, imagine if she was able to get a bunch of key parts of that and make that into an Iron Man suit for herself. Like how cool would that look and be? So I'm really excited the potential of this character. And I think there's no other better way to take the legacy of Tony Stark from the MCU and put it into Ironheart. I think that's going to be a good thing for the character in the comics. And obviously I think better, a, a great thing for the MCU going forward. And there's other ways that it can happen too. I mean, one of the mm-hmm. things where I'm thinking about how she would be able to have access to the tech is, you know, I know in the comic books, they, she ended up being in a lab with MIT, but that came with like strings attached that she ultimately decided to separate herself from. 
But um, I think that what you could have in the MCU is, yeah, you could have her go to MIT. You could have her get, you know, a Stark internship like Peter Parker, but she could also be visiting or be sponsored by like a Wakandan scientific outreach center uh, like you have for, you know, the Void VR thing. But really what they talked about at the end of Black Panther that Shuri was supposed to be uh, initiating uh, that she was going to be in charge of, that could still be happening. And that could be a way where maybe, uh, where maybe, and I'm not saying it has to be this way. They can write better ways of, of this, but there's just a lot of different access points potentially for Riri Williams to get her hands on the technology she needs in order to create this super advanced uh, suit of armor. And I just think it's cool, like I said, that this character is going to be in there. And I like the idea of these young heroes continuing to emerge in the MCU. And while I know that maybe in the comic books, they should resist the temptation sometimes to team them all up all the time. Mm-hmm. You can team them up some of the time. And I am excited about some young heroes teaming up in the MCU. And I don't know what the roster is going to be. I mean, they have so many young heroes now or are about to have so many over the next few years in the MCU. They can't all make the roster of young Avengers or champions or whatever you're going to call it. I, I suppose maybe they could. Um, but I almost wonder if some of these characters won't quite be there uh, just yet. But very excited about Riri Williams. Uh, but hers is not the only armored series coming to Disney+. Plus. There is also going to be Armor Wars. And I would imagine there's probably going to be some strong connections between Ironheart and Armor Wars on Disney+. Plus. That would just be my guess. But anyway, here's the description that we have. Armor Wars, based on the classic Marvel Comics series, comes to Disney+, Plus, starring Don Cheadle as James Rhodes, a.k.a. War Machine, who must face what happens when Tony Stark's tech falls into the wrong hands. So I'm guessing this is not Riri Williams when we're talking about the wrong <laughs> hands. This is someone else. Um, I will just go ahead and make an immediate request for a, a return of Justin Hammer in the MCU, and Armor Wars seems like a decent place for that to happen. Could also happen in Ironheart or Thunderbolts or somewhere else. I, we keep talking about Thunderbolts like it's a thing Marvel's announced. They absolutely have not. But... Uh, Armor Wars sounds like a lot of fun. I expect this to be going pretty far off book from the comic books because Armor Wars in the comics, it's mainly a Tony Stark story. So uh, Rhodey is a supporting character in it. Uh, obviously, Tony is gone in the MCU at this point. So there are that's one key difference. I don't know if we're going to have the character Jack Taggart or Firepower. We actually already had a Jack Taggart in uh, in the MCU. He's the guy who blew up in front of the Chinese theater in Iron Man 3. Uh, that was the name they gave him as a little bit of an Easter egg. But uh, this will be, I think, different, even though they're saying based on the classic Marvel comic series. To me, this reads as it's Armor Wars because that's a cool name. Um, and they will have... And, and there is one plot line that it looks like they're taking from it because in Armor Wars, it was people trying to steal... Tony Stark's tech. And that's that's the plot line that is being carried forward here. But the main character in this is going to be Rhodey. And I'm very excited about that because as soon as we started just even getting the inkling of Marvel Studios Disney Plus series were going to be a thing and we were going to get scripted in-universe canon MCU series on Disney Plus, one of the first names that popped to mind for me was War Machine because mm-hmm. I, while I think this character could have his own movie and could easily support his own film, I also knew that there would be a lot of characters who pro- would probably end up going being selected over or instead of Rhodey to get their own movie. So I don't know if we were ever destined to have a War Machine movie or not, but the Disney Plus format 
seems like a great place to uh, explore more about this character. And also part of the reason why I would, I'm even a little bit happier to have the Disney Plus format as in the, the series format instead of a feature film is I feel like we've had, with Rhodey just mainly being a supporting character throughout, I would love to be able to spend all the extra time with him that, that a series would afford us. So uh, I'm this is a really cool thing, and I'm glad that they're doing this. I was, I was almost worried because we went through a handful or more, more than a handful of these series without having Rhodey being announced as, as having his own. I started to worry that maybe they weren't even going to take the opportunity to give Rhodey a Disney Plus series, but it is happening, and I'm, I'm really pumped up for, uh, for Armor Wars. Yeah, Armor Wars was a, a comic series that I really liked uh, when I read it. And it, when I was growing up, there that was always like the pinnacle Iron Man story at the time. And I like the idea of of the the simple premise of Tony Stark's armor going in the wrong hands. That's a really, really interesting story. And especially if you read the 616 comic books, how many different characters that touches and how how cool that was. And it's been a while since I've read it, but I remember loving it. And I can tell you that it was a, it was popular enough that when John Byrne got on Iron Man and had John Romita Jr. drawing, uh, they did Armor Wars Two. There's a sequel to it as well, so it's a it's a pretty pivotal and important story. It also transitions from the uh, centur- my favorite armor, which is kind of a bummer, the Centurion armor to back into the red and gold armor. And so um, I think the last uh, issue in the series is, is, a, is a great issue drawn by the uh, legendary Barry Windsor Smith. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good story. And I think that the fact that they're having war machine in it, it, it makes sense. And yeah, I, I think this is going to be really exciting. I think you're definitely going to see a lot of potential of, um, Ironheart in this potentially, mm-hmm. and a lot of different things you could do with it. There's, there's, there's so many different things you could do as far as, um, introductions. One of the things they haven't done yet, really yet, Sean, and I'm a little surprised about it actually. And I think you, you, we could see the first glimpse of this potentially is the guardsmen. I'm not sure if you're familiar with who they are, but they are the, basically the security guards for these max prisons and they're green, they're green armored, uh, like soldiers essentially. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you read Marvel comics in the late eighties and early nineties, uh, they were all over the place and you would see him a lot with like venom, uh, transporting venoms, uh, Eddie yep. Brock's character and stuff like that. So I think you potentially could see those characters. I think basically... Isn't that part of, yeah. Venom lethal protector. There's a cover where he's smashing through. Yes. The yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. Love that so cover. I, yeah, exactly. So I think there's, there's potential for, I think, maybe adding that element to the MCU here because Tony Stark was, I think, the one that funded that or or something along those lines. I, I don't know that completely, but I was always I always liked that that costume, to be honest. And I think it'd be kind of cool to see that in the Marvel Universe. So. um so, yeah, I think that that's something that we definitely need to see. Uh, it'd be kind of cool and, and can be kind of, again, the legacy of Tony Stark, not just with Ironheart and, and with right. War Machine. But to have that element, the fact that, yeah, Tony, the armor's got in the wrong hands, but he did try to give it into the, the right hands, too. So that'd be an inter- inter- a good way to introduce that concept into the MCU anyway. Well, and I think it shifts the emotional stakes in a really interesting way to even have Rhodey. I mean, and I'm not saying that Rhodey's one and only concern should still be Tony Stark, even after Tony is gone. 
obviously Rhodey will have his own things going on and his own more you know emotional stakes that are very direct to him, but he's still going to care about the legacy of his friend. And mm-hmm. so the idea of the armor or the tech falling into the wrong hands. And I mean, what's interesting to me is, I mean, it sounds like Ironheart is first and then Armor Wars, but I almost feel like the order of these should almost flip because it's like you start off with the challenge of protecting Tony's legacy and then it turns into, you know, Ironheart is kind of the up, the more optimistic viewpoint or trajectory anyway from there. Sure. But it still works even if Ironheart is first because you could still see like the upside of people being inspired by Tony Stark. And then you could still see the the downside of it of, well, some people are going to take advantage of this and they're going to do the wrong things with it. And I feel like a lot of the pieces are already in place, even within the mythology of the MCU, not just the. Well, anybody would want that tech and try to get their hands on it. Of course, there's that. But Mm. even within the history of the MCU, the government was trying to get its hands on Tony Stark's armor in Iron Man 2. And he was telling him to go screw. And then he come. And then now that he's gone, I mean, I know he was you know, going to go sign with the Sokovia Accords and all that stuff in Civil War. But that he wasn't giving up his armor in that one. He wasn't handing his tech over to Ross or anybody like that. So now that Tony is gone you probably will have a lot of people coming after his tech and a lot of people pretending that they're entitled to the tech and nobody owns it anymore because Tony is gone. I think Pepper and Stark Industries could have a lot to say about that and clearly Rhodey will. Uh, but I like the stakes of what you know could very well be the, the stakes of this series and getting to spend a lot more time with Colonel James Rhodes because Don Cheadle is so great in this role. Um, I think that's going to be pretty special. So really excited about Armor Wars and then... I'm excited about this next thing that we're going to talk about because it's not a series, it's a special. The Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special slated for Disney Plus during the 2022 holiday season, and it is going to be written and directed by Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 director or writer and director James Gunn. This is one of the more exciting announcements, not just because I love Guardians and I love the idea of a Guardians holiday special, It's exciting on that level, just on those levels specific to this project. Of course it is. But it's also really great news because it's it's another door that's being opened on the types of things we can get from Marvel Studios. So we already knew that we were going to get series. And that's not to, like, turn my nose up at the series. Obviously, that's the most important thing that we could get, our scripted series set in the MCU proper with the Marvel Studios Disney Plus series. That's great. But me being the greedy fan that I am, I'm still going to wonder, well, what else can we get? And this is something else that sounds like a lot of fun. And it's the way they're making this that is part of what has me so excited. So James Gunn confirmed that, you know, with this coming out during the 2022 holiday season, it's going to actually be out before Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which James Gunn has said is going to be out in 2023. They are going to make this while they're making... Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, meaning while you have all the actors on set, while you have all a lot of the same resources all pooled together to make this movie, they're also going to come together and make this holiday special. And so mm. this is perfect for Guardians to do a holiday special. I think tonally, it's perfect for them. Cannot wait for holiday season 2022, just a couple of years from now. That's going to be an absolute blast. But there's also that other point, Paul, of... Well, if they can do this with Guardians 3 in this holiday special, they could do this on whatever movie they would like, in mm-hmm. theory. Like, anytime they're making a movie, 
and they have a bunch of actors get together and they want to go ahead and create a special, even if it's just a one-off, one single thing, not necessarily an entire series, and they want to go ahead and do that, like a 20, 30-minute episode of something um, or one-shot special, whatever you want to call it, they can do that. And they're going to do that because here's an example of where they're going to do that. So I'm excited for this specific project, but also, I mean, this opens up a, whole, a door to all new possibilities of the types of things we could get from Marvel Studios as Disney Plus exclusives. Yeah, this is, seems like a weird... I don't know what to expect from this, to be quite honest. And I know a lot of people are probably like, well, you just don't like the Guardians. And it, it, to be honest, I did not love Volume 2. So getting a holiday special, especially with the connotation of the Star Wars holiday special, just kind of makes me go, uh, I don't know about this. Um, I Obviously, I'm interested. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to look forward to it because it's Marvel. And I do love that first Guardians film to death. And I do trust James Gunn to an extent. Maybe he'll, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to Suicide Squad, like, a lot. And so I'm hoping that might re, kind of revitalize my love of James Gunn movies after just being really disappointed with Volume 2. And I, the holiday special, I, don't, I just don't know. I, I'm really intrigued what, where exactly they're going with this and what exactly is the, I don't want to say the point, but what exactly is the significance that it's going to have. So... But at the same time, I, I don't think I don't think James Gunn would do something just for the just for the sake of doing it for a cash money. Maybe he would, I don't know. But it seems like more than that. So meaning I think he actually wants to do something fun and something like this. So he seems like that kind of artist. So I, that to me is what makes me want to watch it more than anything at this point. So um we'll see. I, I'm I'm a little more hes more hesitant on it than you are, obviously. Well, yeah, besides the possibility of, you know, everything else that could happen besides this, just focusing specifically on the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, because I am excited for this specific thing. I'm a big fan of both Guardians movies. I love the first one. I think volume mm. two is wildly underrated. Um, I won't rehash it and, and have the debate all over. <laughs> we won't relitigate the movie here and now, but I'm a big, big fan of Guardians of the Galaxy volume two. There's something about James Gunn and, and what he's brought to those stories that just always seems to resonate with me in, in very powerful ways. And and I also, kind of like you were talking about, I'm not cynical about this. I mean, you can mm -hmm. you could write this up as, well, he's being, I mean, Disney feels bad because they fired him and they shouldn't have. And so they're going to offer him as much money to, as possible to do a bunch of stuff. And they really care about their streaming platform. So they're going to offer him even more money to do that. Right. And mm -hmm. he's just taking the money and going for it. But that's really not what has been dictating James Gunn's choices. I'm not inside his head. I don't personally know the man, but he has said, and I believe it's true, that when he got fired and he met with Warner Brothers, they're like, pick whatever DC character you want. And he chose the Suicide Squad. That's what he wanted to do. And now coming off of the Suicide Squad, what he's, what he's making right now is a Peacemaker series starring John Cena's character from the Suicide Squad, and that's not the most obvious choice to get their own HBO Max series from the Suicide Squad. Now, maybe it will become more obvious when we watch the Suicide Squad next year. But just going off of the list of characters who are there, Peacemaker is not the most obvious choice. And I don't think that's the only choice that James Gunn would have been offered. I think he chooses things where he just feels like he has something to say, either because it's fun for him 
or there's something very emotionally powerful within him that he wants to get out and communicate through this work, or usually it's both. And I think that's why his movies and his stories work so well, at least they work for me and a lot of other people. So I don't think this is a money choice. I don't think this is a cynical thing. There's obviously the Star Wars history of this, the Star Wars holiday special, and there's, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy is kind of the MCU's Star Wars, although there's still a lot that separates Guardians from sure, Star Wars yeah. uh, for the betterment of each thing. It's not, you know, for all of the, each of those things being their own thing. But I think that this is going to be, I, and I don't know what this is. I don't know if this is Peter Quill, like, telling Groot, uh, you know, the story of Christmas. I don't know if this is a Rocket story, although Rocket almost seems like he's more in need of a Christmas story than Peter Quill or Groot. Um, and if this is before Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, uh, is, does Gamora even get to be in this story? Is this a canon story? Or is this more of a, you know, what if or dream type of story, uh, which would allow Gamora to be in it, although maybe they'll find her in Thor Love and Thunder in 2022, although I kind of doubt that. So, I don't know what this is in terms of story. It's place in canon. Is it a dream? Is it whatever? No idea. But I think what we're going to get is I think James Gunn and Kevin Feige as a producer on this with Marvel Studios, they're smart enough to know what the audience is going to want from this. If you're going to have a holiday special, yes, you want it to be entertaining and you want it to be fun, but also the holiday specials that kind of endure I know Star Wars, it's different because Star Wars endures really for mockery more so than anything else. I don't think that's what mm -hmm. they're trying to do. I think they want to have an enduring little holiday story in this. That's my guess, and, and maybe I'll be totally wrong, uh, but I, I think they're going to go for something that is a lot of fun, but also has a lot of heart and, and a fair amount of meaning, and I'm totally here for that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't think you're wrong, but yeah. we'll, I just, it's going to, it's just, I'm very trepidatious on what exactly this is so we'll yeah, see which is fair i mean right now we have no idea what it is other than a title mm -hmm. and who's making exactly. it. exactly so mm -hmm. the last thing that we have announced for disney plus is right there with the guardians i am groot and the official description is i am groot features everyone's favorite baby tree in a series of original shorts coming to disney plus so that means this is baby groot so this is not Adolescent group. This is an uh, adolescent group. This is not a new grown-up group because the original one from Guardians of the Galaxy passed on in that movie, as James Gunn has confirmed multiple times. So this is Baby Groot again, which means that if we're saying these shorts are canon, and we don't know that they are, but this is set sometime between the end of Guardians Two and the mid-credit scene when we, although maybe it's even before or during Guardians 2 for some of these shorts, I suppose that's possible, but it would be before the mid credit scene from Guardians 2 where we have flashed forward to an adolescent Groot. Um, but I'm all for this because it's another example of just different types of things that they can do at Marvel Studios. So I, I don't know what this is other than the very vague description, a series of original shorts, but Baby Groot is awesome. He's adorable. Can watch Baby Groot in anything. So with short form content, I think is great. And if there are other opportunities to do this with other characters later on down the line, I'm all for it. I really like the idea of just expanding the uh, before we've even started it, because we haven't even seen WandaVision yet as we're recording this, that we're already expanding the idea of what Marvel Studios original content can be on Disney+. Plus. Um, with these, with the holiday special, 
as well as these uh, these I am Groot shorts. So as I said, just like the Guardians holiday special, I'm here for it. Yeah, I, I'm kind of again, I'm I'm I think I'm the lone man out on this. I'm just kind of like, OK, we'll just see what happens. I'm not. Yeah, it's whatever. It's again, I, I'm not counting I'm not like, on it for anything other than yeah. when I sit down and watch it, I'll be hopefully entertained by it you know it's not yeah i I don't put the pressure on this stuff as like a moon knight series or you know miss marvel or hawkeye or whatever it's like cool if it's if it's fun it's fun and and that's and that's all it needs to be like and i'm totally happy having fun with mcu characters and stories no i think that's the thing about this it's it's hard for me to have a lot of excitement or uh, opinion on it because it just feels very okay that group shorts cool like just fun little things nothing consequential as far as far as we know i mean who knows watch all of a sudden like big things are hinted at yeah these I, I don't i don't think the i am groot shorts are gonna have like the key moment that kicks off the next major infinity right. war and end game level event right and, and i'm not expecting it to either but uh um, although it would be but, pretty awesome if it did well, see now that that'd be all about subverting expectations, right? So, exactly. I mean, yeah. So that's as subverted we'll as it gets, right there. Yeah, really, really is. But we'll see. I mean, they're gonna be fun. I'll watch them. I'll you know, as long as they're entertaining, sure. But it's I just don't have a lot of again. I'm not like on pins and needles waiting for a Groot short. It's 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 what it is. It'll be fun. No, neither am I. But as a way to get extra Marvel Studios stuff yeah. in between the bigger you know, flagship series, I will totally take it. So totally. that is it for Marvel Studios on Disney+. Plus. We finally made it through all of the Disney Plus news from Disney Inve- Investor Day. We just have to finish up with some feature film news, which we will cover in our very next episode. In the meantime, make sure you are following us in the places you can at MCU Fan Show. That's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you want to listen to extra podcasts where we also recently on a Patreon credit scene, we're dreaming up other content that we would want from Marvel Studios on Disney Plus. You can find that and more exclusives like Fan Show Plus, where Paul recently joined me to do a spoiler review for the season finale of The Mandalorian. Absolutely. You can find all of that at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. You'll also get access to an exclusive Discord community where we're talking about all this fun stuff every single day. And there's also a tier available for MCU fan trivia nights that I am hosting once a month. Our uh, reigning champions so far have been Robert for December or for November, Tom for January. I'm sorry, for December, excuse me, which sets up an epic showdown between Tom and Robert in January or some other contender because we have plenty uh, plenty of others who are doing very well in MCU fan trivia. But make sure you check out all of the exclusives and events and community that we have, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. Paul, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also find me on the Comic Binge podcast with my good friend Chris Clow. Also, the Star Wars podcast that I do with my very, very good friends, Tim Drossi and and Kyle Avery. Check us out on at the Saga Continues podcast, where we basically did literally 12 hours of podcasting in one month. I think that we had I think we had three or nine or 12, somewhere around there. We had basically almost four, three, four hour long podcast. And mind you, Sean, these are on the same days that we were record. 
Well, I appreciate you being here. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> no, hey, you, look, was, you know, it's you're long, man. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I know a thing or two about marathon recording sessions and days, yes. so I can certainly, uh, certainly relate. And so I really do appreciate you uh, oh, making yeah. the effort to be here on uh, on those days. Uh, in the unlikely event that those of you out there would like to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, you could do that at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul and for MCU Fan Show, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.